This show is a series of conversations amongst really good friends. We come from different generations and have different life situations. And those situations are even changing as we record this. We decided when we began that this might be a helpful conversation for others to be a part of. So we offer this to you as a gift. In the words of Dr. Adrian Keene, we have decided to consent to learn in public. With you. We intend to be mindful, authentic, and responsible with our words. But we also expect to mess up and learn through this conversation. Take a look at America today. I wish I could give you better news. That I am suspending my campaign. 300 delegates behind Vice President Biden. And all this little girls. We're going to have to wait for And the path toward victory is virtually impossible. For some of these other candidates to get behind Joe Biden. I'm looking forward to getting started as soon as we can. Hi, I'm Julia. I use pronouns she, her, and hers. And I live on Council of the Free Fires territory. I am uh, an AmeriCorps City Year volunteer. And I just finished my first week of basic training academy. I'm also part of Cops at Whitney Young. My name is Addie. I use pronouns like she and her. And I have been... There's something I saw on Instagram recently that I really highly identify with. I've been wearing a mask more than a bra lately. And it's like a real vibe that I really like to lean into. Um, And I like to grow things and paint walls in my house (laughs) and hang out with my cat and I'm interested in theology and working on anti-oppressive systems and I'm reading Sister Outsider right now by Audre Lorde. Hi, I'm Dan Giles. I am a cis, het, mixed race man. Um, I do physics. I just finished, um, being a part of the Frontier Development Laboratory, which is partnered with SETI and NASA. SETI is the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Haven't found anything yet. Still looking. My name is Ari. I use uh, he, him, or they, them pronouns. I am also a member of Cops Out of Whitney, Whitney Young. And I've spent the last couple of days trying on and packing up all of my clothes into two large suitcases so that I can move down to downtown Chicago to start attending the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Oh, that's so emotional. Yeah. A lot of them don't fit. That's what what we're learning through this process. I hate that. Oh my gosh. Are you okay? No. But that's not what the podcast is about. So That's what I want to talk about. That is so emotional. Oh my gosh. Tell me like three things about how that experience was. Um, I have to do it with like someone else like FaceTiming or Zoom calling me because mm-hmm. I'm finding it very distressing to try on lots of clothes by myself, mm-hmm. especially given this will not go in the podcast, but given, you know, the stuff that I've been going through with how my body has been changing Mm. in the last several months uh, for Mm -hmm. a number of reasons, that Mm -hmm. has been really distressing to try on a lot of clothes that I really like and to have them just like literally fall off my body because they don't fit anymore. Um, I'm feeling a lot of grief Mm -hmm. um, around that. I'm also feeling 
a lot of like stress about like am I supposed to be like reinventing myself are these clothes like the right aesthetic am I gonna like Mm -hmm. look stupid in them and then all the art kids are Mm -hmm. gonna think I'm stupid Mm -hmm. Um, yes and also I found the shirt that I wore to uh homecoming my junior year and it made me really happy um because it's a really cute shirt so yeah those are the three things I love that you said that and I hear you and feel you so much. I don't know. It, it strikes me as maybe Julia and Dan haven't had this experience with clothing, but I don't, I'm not sure I'll just speak for myself that I super have and it feels um, so much. It feels so much. Yeah. I it's feel... one of the most emotionally draining things I think I have ever do at home. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it is. It's been a lot. Um, but I think it's also sort of a sign of, like, I don't want to say light at the end of the tunnel because I'm trying to not use light, dark metaphors as much. But, um, like, I don't know. It, it, it is also representing for me the hopeful end of what has been a very long and hard, um, like, several months. Yes. Um, of being able to, like, reclaim a lot of independence and a lot of space for myself. So. So we're here to discuss the big news. Fortnite has been pulled from the App Store. What? Are you serious? <laughs> wow, I got a bigger reaction than I expected. All right. I didn't um, know that. Wait, wait, what? Wow, tell left. me about this. Made that up. You, did you make so that up? <laughs> no, I didn't make that up. It's been pulled oh, from the App Store gosh, and the Google App Store. That. What? Fortnite is like pushing the boundaries. Tell me everything. I have no idea about this. When am I gonna? Next time I want to play Fortnite, and I'll have to spend twenty-seven hours downloading the new thing. I won't be able to. You've never played it on your phone. Oh, it's only on your phone. Wait, give me any more information, Dan. Uh, okay. So Fortnite was pulled from the App Store because Fortnite said we're gonna let people just pay us directly for this thing that we have, which are V Bucks which is just fake currency, but Apple says, no, 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 We need a cut of that. So by doing that, you're cutting us out. We don't like it. So you aren't allowed to be on the App Store. And Epic Games, who owns Fortnite, said, we're going to sue you because actually these V-Bucks are a thing that exists in so many different formats and Fortnite is on so many different systems that it is not Apple exclusive. So you have no right to this. You have no right to our money. Um, And Google also pulled it for the same reason. So now we're going to see what happens between big companies going at each other, saying what they want to get. Truly, I don't benefit. I don't think this will benefit any small developers in any way. But maybe Apple will get hurt. I don't know. I agree. Okay. So big tech giants are going at each other, and this is some type of, like, uh, monopoly-style debate. Okay. Well, did you hear about the vice president? 
Yeah. Also, I'll we could put the, put this in there since I don't. I'm not planning on having family members listen to it. My mother, uh, two days ago, changed her profile picture on Facebook to a picture of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, even though she is neither of those two people. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Okay. So, what does it mean when a middle-aged woman puts Kamala Harris and Joe Biden as her profile picture? Let's get into it. It means it's an advanced. That's how I found out that Joe Biden Facebook filter. elected Kamala Harris as his vice president. That's how I found out was Facebook <laughs> gave me it, sent me a notification saying oh Allison Clark changed your profile photo, and I looked and I was like, oh no! What a... I found <laughs> out because well, I said that's... our like favorite cop is going to be VP or something. Oh yeah, that was. I texted you already. Thank you for being the one to talk. If me. that's how you learned that. Kamala was the VP pick, then she succeeded. She reached her audience. Yeah, she was like, I got Allison. I don't care about Ari. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that is what happened. I I was in the middle of a staff meeting. Her strategy is. Oh, for sure. You know that little clip from the from the office where Ryan is like, I'm keeping a list of everyone who wrongs me. Mm -hmm. I'm more like. It's not everyone who wrongs me, but I definitely am keeping a mental list of everyone that's like, woo, girl power. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. everyone who's like, I'm, I am keeping a mental list of all those people. Because um, there were already several posts by the time I opened Instagram of people being like, including someone, I feel like I need to, I feel like I need to talk to her because she posted this thing that was sort of like, Kamala's not perfect, but we can move her. And it quoted Sean King. Oh, no. Like, the post was a bunch of screen caps from Sean King's Twitter talking about Kamala Harris. Nope. And I was like, I feel like there's a lot of, there's maybe, maybe you need to be looking, regardless of whether or not this is still the point you're going to land on, I feel like you maybe want to cite different sources to get to this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you do to people who don't know that Sean King is bad? Well, actually, I texted you because I had a kid in my youth group who said something about Sean King as like we were like talking about um, resources to follow online, and then one of these one of the kids in my small group was like, "Oh, Sean King," and I was like, "Actually, I would like to refer you to not Sean King." And then I texted you, and I texted my friend Rob. Uh, what do you like? What are good resources that says that Sean King is bad? And you sent really good ones. Because I had never, like, had to argue that to anybody before. I just, like, based on who I follow, that was not that are like, wait, I follow Sean King. I would post his tweets on my personal Instagram about Kamala Harris. Sean King has, this is also very easily Googleable, so I'm not even going to reference the specific articles because I truly don't remember the names of the articles I sent. But, like, um, like, literally you can Google it. Um, Yeah. Sean King has a very long history of sort of there's two main issues with him. One, he does not listen to black women. He has a very long history of silencing black femmes and black women who critique him, um, of threatening them, of trying to like sick his followers on them. This is not a good practice, especially for someone who claims to be about racial justice. Also, I mean, centering yourself as a very light skinned black man in a conversation about racial justice and then pushing down like black women is just this not a good look my guy um and then the other thing is he repeatedly raises well there's i guess two more things 
thing point number two he repeatedly tries to like raise money to like let's let's get justice for this there's usually not really a thing where he actually says where this money is going to go there are no records about where this money goes when people especially black women ask him where this money goes he blocks mm -hmm. them and shuts them down mm -hmm. so he just basically he'll, he'll just takes your money you donate to sean king it's like donating to change.org they just take your money um uh, if and then that? number three sean king also plays into the thing of when a black person or when when yeah when black people are murdered and it's caught on video you should post that video without mm -hmm. trigger warnings because that way mm -hmm. people will see it and they will be moved and that is fundamentally not something i believe in and not something that i know many black organizers that i follow believe in if mm -hmm. you're at the very least if you're going to post images of people being murdered you should put trigger warnings because that stuff is triggering mm -hmm. it just reminds me of that postcard you know that postcard of the lynching where all the white people were in the front like kind of smiling yeah um that's what i feel like when all these white people are like um oh my gosh have you seen this like have you seen this video i just feel like it's a modern form of that okay we're not smiling anymore but we're still just like throwing it everywhere as if it's a postcard well but it's especially you're not smiling but i feel like then the modern and especially like the modern white liberal version of that is you post it and you go like this is this is so this shocking unbelievable this is so yeah unbelievable uh, something yep. needs to change you don't say what the something is and you don't yes and you still yeah. go like this is so shocking yeah but it's you know um yeah and you just basically post it to like get clout while also refusing to listen to any of the last times that any black people were murdered or like fundamentally critique the system or even name mm -hmm. the thing that needs to be changed yep um articles that my friend rob sent about sean king that are helpful are uh sean king is not here for us and um at angry black lady has a moment uh saved about sean king oh also um i hope this is i mean this is going to be like eight eight eps in but also uh, at the beginning uh, i don't know if this is meaningful right now but i was like campaign zero um eight to eight can't wait <laughs> in, in episode one <laughs> So we're all learning here, okay? Like, it's not like I was, like, instantly I knew Sean King was bad. I was like, yeah, yeah, like, among all of these other people, Sean King is one of the people I listen to, but it's because of the people that I follow in addition to Sean King that I was like, oh, wait, I believe these people over Sean King. So we're all learning here. Yeah, I, I'm glad you're taking ownership of the, like, eight can't wait thing, and I don't know. We all learn. Sometimes you follow people and you're like, wow, they're really cool, smart people that I should be listening to. And then you learn new information. I mean, I think hopefully, or thankfully, a lot of the It Can't Wait, like, reposts turned into Eight to Abolition super fast, but just unfortunately not before we recorded our first podcast. <laughs> and I definitely, I, I, so the funny thing is when I talk about it in the first episode, I'm like, literally bringing it up like i'd rather do abolition but like i work i i like want to you know encourage these types of things too so i'm like talking about it in the framework of abolition but maybe you know this addy seven episodes in or something has learned a little bit about how how far my demands can go <laughs> how much 
of like that momentum has been lost at this point like we are not that far out from it but like i feel like even even the ideas of a can't wait are so like um i don't feel like there's a lot of a lot of movement on that front at this point there's so much like every every week here is like several months in covid time so i hope that i I don't feel like the national attention is on abolishing the police right now which is sad um and even like the the lesser goals of um a can't wait and stuff like that are um the momentum is waning at least maybe that's just my yeah you're it might be that that work's still happening on a local level but those those changes need to happen at a local level anyway so you might just not know about them i don't want to discount the work Mm -hmm. that people are still doing you know could just be that we don't know about it it's always possible there's i think there's a lot of that going on in chicago will you tell us about the um whitney young stuff this stays in we're naming our former high school by name what are they gonna do to us so let's see what what was it? Seventeen schools in Chicago 11. voted to get rid of SROs, and oh, maybe it's more. Seventy-seven percent of Black students will continue to have police officers in school. Oh my gosh, that's gross. Thanks, Dan, for that framing. So I think we've talked about this a bit before, but in um, Chicago Board of Education in June um, had a, a, a professor. Elizabeth Todd Breland um, introduced a resolution last year to end the contract between the Chicago Police Department and the Chicago Public Schools, um, which is up to $33 million per year, renewed twice a year, um, and it, it funds the pensions and benefits and salaries of 180 police officers who are stationed in various high schools, and then like, I don't know, like 80-something. mobile officers who go around, including to elementary schools. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah, actually, um, 308 or something like that incidents from 2015 to 2018 between police and students involved children um, ages 6 to 10. So, 300? scary police are really scared of black six-year-olds. Like, they handcuff them. Yeah. I feel like that's terrorism. So, right. oh, and the city knows that this like is a the problem. the actual definition of terrorism. The, there have been reports on it, including from the Office of the Inspector General in Chicago. They were like, here's all the things you need to do. There's no transparency. There wasn't even a list of, like, which officers are in which schools. Um, they, they've finally come up with that, and that's the only, like, thing that they've done on the list of OIG recommendations. So... So, uh, there's a lot of students of color who've been organizing around this issue for years. They want police to be outside of their schools. Or not outside. They want them just gone from school. They want school to be a safe place for them. Um, because they're entitled to that. And um, there's a big Chicago movement to do that. That gained a lot of momentum with the uprising this summer. Um, and uh, the Board of Education, though, normally they vote unanimously or, or so. But they actually, three ladies voted to get the um, police out and the contract, and the four dudes were like, nope, we're going to keep them in, because every community is different, some communities need cops. Um, so they were like, local school councils, you're going to do this. 
you're going to decide because you know your community best. Basically means if you have, like, you know, the wrong kind of kids in your school, you need to keep your cops. Um, so they had from July 15th to August 15th, or 14th, I guess, to um, vote. And there's a lot of issues with, like, whether local school counselors are really empowered because some of them don't have a quorum. Um, some of them, um, you know, don't have, they, they lose some positions over the summer. They don't necessarily have the great information when they're making choices. Um, so there's been a lot of different students organizing. Our school, our high school, Whitney Young, um, had their vote on Wednesday. And so um, there was an, some alums who started a campaign a few, probably a few weeks, a few months ago, to um, to pressure the LSC to vote to remove SROs, school resource officers, police and schools. Uh, so we like emailed um, all the LSC members. We got people to show up. They had these virtual town halls. We got people to show up and give testimonials and speak at the virtual town halls. And then um, we organized a rally on Tuesday night and a march. Um, we marched to UIC where some college students talked about how this doesn't end in high school, how there's also police forces and colleges that are private, and that's a problem too. Um, and then on Wednesday, uh, they voted eight to five to keep officers in. So then, I haven't been as involved because I have been doing city year training and I haven't been able to be on all the calls, but um, I'm gonna say that they, like including Ari, um, I just sent some emails for them, um, organized a press conference today where because there was a lot of rules around like speaking at the town halls and stuff and like you only had 90 seconds you had to use i statements and not be like specific about so you don't hurt anybody. the feelings of the <laughs> no because it, it should be from your perspective it shouldn't be about what other people are doing it's about you like uh, what that and then i statements are for like relationship management that's so weird <laughs> I was going to say, they also enforced this particular rule very differently. Julia, I'm very glad you did this. Julia did call out our SROs, like Whitney Young's SROs, by name, because one of them has allegations, like use of force allegations against him, um, and was not shut down or told to use I statements at all. Um, another student, I don't know who I will not name to protect their privacy, um, is a black woman. And another former student, and uh, she said something uh, along the lines of, like, if you don't think the history of policing is racist, you haven't read anything, and was immediately shut down and was told that she needed to continue use, using only I statements to not, like, generalize or hurt the feelings of people there. Oh, um, my gosh. And this actually happened twice. I'm pretty sure in the second town hall, the same moderator targeted the same student um that's such an inappropriate use of that very helpful communication form between relationships when you're like having an argument like as a couple that's a helpful thing to say like you want to speak from your own experience but that is not what that when you talk that about is such a manipulation issues, of a helpful the... thing yeah yeah the psych so teacher dumb. was that. saying these norms by the way um oh a white teacher there was a white psych teacher and a black psych teacher supposed to moderate, and then it was just the white psych teacher who moderated. But then I emailed her earlier to ask for the video of the meeting, and she was like, oh, I'm so proud of you for organizing around this issue. 
I was like, huh. I'm also going to, yeah, I feel like things, this is maybe not as related to Kamala Harris, but, you know, we're talking about all kinds of things in this podcast. Um, Phrases that need to be banned from anything, from any kind of talk about, like, systemic issues or identity or just, like, those kinds of conversations. I see you. We see you. Like, I hear you. We are listening. We value your voices. You're so strong. Thank you for, like... Thank you for You're sharing so your strong. perspective. You're so strong. Uh, you know what we really- value you. Like, yeah. all of those, gone. I can't hear any more of that because, like, frankly, if you say that, like, you're kind of full of shit because I don't want to hear you say it. I want to hear you actually listen. Yeah. You spend an hour being like, wow, thank you all. You're so organized. You're so well-spoken. Then, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to sit there and be like, thank you, thank you, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Like, take if they don't do anything about it, the then it's just do. gaslighting. And then they don't listen yeah. to you. It's just yeah. gaslighting, and it's shitty. It's like yeah. they think we do this for fun. Like, yes, it's wonderful to be in these spaces and share this energy, but all of the people who are organizing have been working so hard. Like, I mean, we're, none of us have, like, done anything fun in the last, last few days. Like, it's, like, literally meeting on Zoom for three hours a time every 12 hours. Like, starting at, like, 8 at night. Like, it's, I would much rather be able to, like, lie down and, like, watch Bob's Burgers or something like that. But I'm here (laughs) with a bunch of my peers. None of us are getting paid for our time. All of us are fighting either for our own lives or on, like, fighting for each other's lives because we care about each other. And then we just come into this space to get condescended to and gaslit. And that's not cool, y'all. I want to say that I'm really annoyed, um... Like the same way I was just annoyed that someone took a helpful relationship tool and then turned it as a, into a way of silencing people uh, when they're supposed to be in a forum where they can talk about uh, what's going on. Um, I have been in, in, in relationships and conversations where people truly did like hear what I was saying or I felt very seen by the person. And that is so powerful when someone is able to say that when you're able to share that with someone genuinely, it's really, really powerful. And so when people have co-opted that to be like, like, like I see you as, I don't, I, I I saw it as an Etsy print uh, yesterday. I feel like I kept seeing at the beginning of the pandemic, I kept seeing someone on my block printed about a sign that was like, it's this like white hand and like a medium tone black hand, (laughs) like doing like pinkies or something. It's like, it's so gross. And it's like, I will, I will, I know that I'll never understand, but I'll yes. stand with you or yes, something like yes. that. Yes, yes, it's like some dumb, like yeah. Like, yeah, so that, like, I, one time I was at, um, where was this? But there are a lot of signs around here that's like, in this house we believe, blah, 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 and then they have, like, dog on premises or something. <laughs> or, like, everybody's welcome, and then it's like, no trespassing. <laughs> so, uh. But it's so funny. Um, but wait, what was I? Oh, I was at the um, U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights Conference um, a couple of years ago. And one woman was facilitating a, a conversation. And I went up to her afterwards and told her how valuable I thought her facilitation was. Because the way that she called on people was to say, um, like, if we had a name time, like, a name tag, like, Ari, I see you. And then Julia, I see you. And then Dan, I see you. And that's how she called on people. And every way that she communicated was like, 
not just like I recognize you or you go next, but it was like through seeing and hearing and like feeling. And it was so liberating. <laughs> and I felt so, so together with this little like panel that I had never met anyone in that room. So I, it makes me feel like um, really enraged that people have co-opted language that is very, very meaningful in activist circles um, and then turned them into yard signs that you can buy on Etsy and, and put right next to a tr uh, no trespassing sign. Ugh. Okay, that's the end of that. Yeah. But we're going to keep going. We are. We're fighting We're fighting the long game. And ultimately, if CPS ends its contract with the, uh, if the Board of Education ends its contract with uh, CPD, then it does not matter what Whitney M. Young Magnet High School, the School of Champions, uh, voted. It, the contract's just ended. So, tough luck. And then they'll all look stupid. But, no, I also, like, I one of my jobs, one of my responsibilities within the group was to email um, some of the LSC reps who voted to retain the SROs. Um, and so the ones I wrote to were ones that I had, like, personal connections with. One of them was a parent of a classmate, uh, someone who was a classmate of mine and Julia's for many years. Um, one of them was a woman that I worked with as part of the Committee for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, uh, for which should already say a lot about what that group does, but we worked on it with her on that for the last two years. And that was hard. It was very hard to write those emails. Um, I got responses from both of them. I haven't, I haven't been able to read either of them yet just because I sort of have not felt like emotionally put together enough to like actually read those emails. Um, but nope. I skimmed them and it doesn't look like either of them are, <laughs> revote, are, are changing their minds. So this was like people who were like, no, and then you're responding to be like, we're disappointed in you? We're disappointed and they can technically, well, they voted on Wednesday and so they could have mm. vote, called a revote. Mm. Um, so then our point was we were sort of doing one last push as being like, we're really disappointed. We're outlining alternatives here. Like we people with connections to you are reaching out to you to tell you that we think you should reconsider your vote and call for a revote. The student population overwhelmingly thinks that you're wrong and you should change what you're thinking right now. 95%, 95% of the, they did a survey and uh, stu student alums conducted a survey with over 500 responses and of the responses from current, current students, 95% voted that they wanted SROs out of the school. I think the poll survey response was 95 and then the current was 93. Either way, over like you can't, if you're really representing the community, the people who go there. No, I would check Julia because I think it was day. the opposite. I think it was. Oh, that's not. Anyway, but that's not way. overwhelming. That's essentially unanimous. Like. Yeah. That's more than the teachers union voting to strike. To be like, on the other side. Yeah. Like I could ask a hundred. Like I could ask the Whitney Young community if everyone wanted like a free ice cream cone or for me to kick them in the kneecaps, and like it would not be a ninety-five to five vote. Like. People like you don't I'm get ninety-five to five on anything. So I guess the kneecaps. <laughs> They'd be like, I don't really like ice cream, so I guess I'll take a kick in the kneecaps. Like, you don't get that kind of unanimous, like, consensus on anything. And just, like, I mean, the fact that anyone could call themselves an LSU representative and not actually represent yeah. like, the school is is mind-boggling. Um, yeah, I feel it's been sort of a hard week between that and, and the VP. Parsha, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I've already, part of the reason I feel frustrated is because, like, 
I think a lot of the organizing work, like after the vote, I feel like a lot of people have sort of had this energy and like Whitney Young folks have had this energy of being like, well, it was good that you tried and you expressed your voices and sort of like, and now we're done. And like, it's never nope, done and it's never enough. over. And like, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. you know, when you've got and, and I feel like already, and like, I feel like already with Kamala Harris, I've seen, I mean, I, I already have felt incredibly disappointed with like, since Biden, you know, got on the tick of the number of people that I've seen criticizing him has dropped so much because people are afraid to criticize like the Democrats, mm -hmm. um, just in terms of like, I don't know, various people that I follow that are like, vote blue, and then they like have just sort of stopped criticizing him, um, mm -hmm. or really, really pulled back. And I feel like that's going to happen even more um, now that Kamala Harris is on the ticket. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the people that were already primed to like really get yeah. it, like that, that, yeah. that really fundamentally disagree with him are going to continue to do so and are going to be really strong about it. But I think the people that are very like vote blue no matter what because it's better than the alternative like are like and that don't we're already pulling back from criticizing biden or just gonna like complete either completely shut up we're gonna go full like girl power <laughs> yes so i guess um i straight up don't feel like that um and this is coming from a place of privilege i suppose like a lot of privilege but like i don't feel that against kamala i know that there's a lot wrong with kamala but like i actually i would say i like kamala um maybe because of her prosecutorial like record in senate as she grills people and maybe that isn't actually that meaningful because most of the stuff that she does like doesn't actually result in a lot of change because the senate is controlled by republicans and so like you can say whatever you want in the senate and if the vote doesn't go your way then it doesn't really matter in the end but I feel like there's a lot on the record for her um being a good senator and being a good prosecutor in the senate I don't know I, I I'm even like hesitant to say these things I know it's like she's got a lot wrong with her in terms of like her record as a prosecutor not in the senate um I'm also just like I I know that I'm one of the people that have like dropped off in my criticisms of Joe Biden as time has gone on like even though I'm still like icked out by the by him as a person I'm definitely not going to be as vocal against him until after the election that's I think like we're having this podcast but I'm not going to be actively like seeking to take him down in a lot of different ways because I would rather spend my time at present getting Trump out and in, in criticizing Trump and um, getting everything that Trump is doing out of the White House and out of government, including every single person that Trump has appointed. I feel like I don't know enough about her to say a whole lot, honestly. I do, I think it does say something about my expectations that like, I was like, I guess I was expecting him to kind of try to cater to people like me with the VP pick and to say like, I'm really moderate. I'm worried about like people who are farther left not voting for me out of disgust. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick someone no. who's farther left than me. Nope. And that's what I was hoping for so that I could at least go to the polls feeling like I'm voting I'm voting for the vice president. Like, I could be like, I'm voting for the VP. Because, like, is he going to make it for four or eight more years? Like, mm, you know? So it's like, at least I can feel like I'm voting for, like, the the second one. But 
like as I listened to most of the podcast, I haven't finished it yet that you sent on um, the Code Switch episode, but mm-hmm. they were very they're they're really good at outlining the mm-hmm. strategy, um, with like the high return for black voters and oh yeah, also understanding that, that like that older people was? come out to vote. Um, yes. yes, there was a Code Switch episode that um, talked about Biden and the black vote pretty much, and then. I think ended up talking about Kamala Harris, but I didn't finish listening the whole thing yet. Um, yeah, essentially, talking, it's like yeah, a generational divide between young black people and older black people around Kamala and Biden, and how how Biden does like as and Democrats in general see so much um, have so much to gain from courting black voters because those people are very likely to vote Democrat. And you can't really place bets um, on that with other populations or demographics because, um, you know, there's like, um, they're not, you know, you're not having to consider like, does that person's opinions oppress me when thinking about Republicans? So I get so upset when people are like, my opinion is, and then something about how like certain people should just suffer. I feel like I want to respond to what you said, Dan. Yes, I want yeah, that please. to happen. Like, <laughs> I feel like, here's my thing. The, the reason that I feel like you've provided in the past for, like, voting for Biden has been very much not about his, like, not about who he is as a person, but the idea that, like, when he's in office, he's, like, more changeable. Right, in the sense that, like, if you're able to, like, hold him accountable and push him, then he is more responsive to that than Trump is. I mm. feel mm-hmm. frustrated. Yes. I almost, I, because I've been thinking about this a lot. I almost feel like if that, if people believe that, I'm not saying that, like, you don't believe that, but I am saying that I, I, I feel I'm just going to preface by saying this. I, I, I believe that a number of people think that Biden is legitimately more like malleable than Trump is. I don't think their actions are necessarily in line with like, with that as a strategy because people continue to criticize Trump for everything he does. And my point is that like, like jumping on Trump for like every tweet, every action, every, you know, shitty thing he says, I'm not saying those things aren't awful, Mm -hmm. but I also feel like, if you truly believe that Trump is less likely to listen to you than Biden is, if Trump is less likely to respond to criticism than Biden is, then why are you focusing your time yelling at Trump or yelling about Trump, who we've already established isn't going to listen to you? Mm-hmm. And why don't, why don't you focus on criticizing Biden, who mm-hmm. will? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I guess I'm, that, that's sort of a le- like actually a legitimate question because I, feel ver- I, I do feel very frustrated by that. Sure. I've seen people simultaneously being like, we need to criticize Biden so we can change him, and then also not criticizing mm. Biden and instead yes. focusing on Trump when they've already sort of said, like, oh, but he's the one we can't change. I, yeah, I have an answer to that. Okay. Or I have a response yeah. to that, at least. So, I mean, the main response to that is timing. Um, and it's it's a suck-ass answer. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yes, I believe that Biden will... I don't really feel like he has strong beliefs on anything. So I feel like he can be changed to do what is going to be necessary. Like, I don't think he's going to be issuing a ton of executive orders because like, I think he's just going to go with like what comes to his desk. Um, 
I believe that that's more of a thing. I think he's going to put people who are qualified in places of power. Um, hopefully we can have some influence in who he chooses to put people in power in different departments um, by like being vocal about it when it comes time to do so. Um, but until he gets the power to do that, he doesn't have, there, there's not like a ton of point in like, from my point of view, there's not a ton of point in like tearing him down until we get him into the position where he has influence. As is, he has no elected position. He doesn't have anything to lose um, from running a campaign right now and not listening to people really. Like, he doesn't really have to listen to super progressive voices right now because um, I, I think he probably firmly believes that he's going to get most progressive votes. Um, and I hope that he does because I don't want Trump to be president. Um, and that's what he's running on, and that's a stupid platform, and that's why I didn't vote for him in the primary, but that's where we're at. That's what the country apparently wanted, or that's what the country of Democrats apparently wanted, so that's where we're at. Um, tearing him down at this point doesn't, I think, help, um, because we need to get him to beat Trump. That's how I believe it is. Um, and so in terms of, like, this is playing a political game, I guess, on my part, like um, criticizing Trump right now, at least in in public and like out loud and like in social media helps to if I have any influence, which I very much doubt I do. If I have any influence over anybody who's like on the fence between Trump or um, Biden, maybe just maybe like highlighting the things that Trump is doing to be a fascist, to make the election unfair, to um, be just a terrible person in general, maybe just maybe they will consider voting for Biden instead of Trump. Like I feel sort of, hmm, I don't know, I can't, I'm not sure that I can exactly label how I'm feeling about like with a single word. It feels off or sort of not right to me that criticizing and a, an elected official or a potential elected official is automatically read as tearing them down. And I understand that you're playing like that, that you're, you're, you have this like political strategy more than a like, you're not saying like ideologically, I don't want to hold Biden accountable, but it also does bother me that people's first instinct when, I mean, I know, I know there was like, I've had I've, I have had people you know swipe up on my stories and things like that where I have criticized Biden and been sort of like why are you tearing him down, right? And and I it does bother me that people's first reaction to criticism and legitimate criticism that's not just again like pet peeves but like you're harming people is that you're tearing someone down rather than like like helping I don't know we're we were talking about like communicating when you're in an argument with someone that you're in a relationship with. Obviously, this is mm -hmm. talking about like a more personal relationship than like your relationship with like an elected representative, but it also does bother me that there is enough of a culture that you feel like you can't or should not criticize someone until you until they have enough power, right? Like until they have more power, yeah, that yeah. feels, and that feels like a very intentional I, narrative in some ways uh, too. That's like targeted at voters yeah, as being yeah. like, don't criticize them until they're in office. Dan. Can I add, I, I don't know if you believe everything you just said, because 
I think, first of all, I don't think you are trying to get someone who would have voted for Trump to vote for Biden. I think you're trying to engage anyone around you who might not vote because Biden is boring and not interesting and not compelling and not motivating. Um, I think you might be interested in compelling people who wouldn't, who just wouldn't vote. And so I just want to say that I don't really think you like operate in the world trying to talk to Trump voters. And then the other thing is, I think you do criticize Biden. I, we never talk positively about Biden to anybody, especially here when we actually meet people who have voted for Biden. And we are making this podcast because we think that like this isn't easy, this is complicated, and it's worth talking about for hours and hours to convince ourselves uh, either to vote for Biden or to not vote or, or what the options are we're, we're trying to talk about. It. So I don't know if you even believe just like I think what you said you do believe, but there were two things about the you don't criticize and you're trying to convince Trump voters. I don't actually think that you don't criticize I think you interpersonally do criticize Biden all the time, even to your family who's like into it. You know, if they had a Facebook, they would put up the profile picture. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and I think so. I think like for your MSNBC family, you're trying to say like, I know you're going to vote for Biden. I know that you're so excited that we have the California <laughs> senator uh, for um, VP. Um, but I just want to let you know that like. She's actually problematic, even though I know you're going to vote for her. So I think yeah, the way I that you talked about I, yourself is actually not how you operate in the world and is truer to your values than uh, how you portrayed yourself. Also, this is, this is a pretty big call out here. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to respond to that a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm OK. Right. I'm not talking to a ton of Trump voters. That's this is true. Um, Addie has left because she doesn't want to hear it. I'm listening! Response. I have um, my headphones on! Stop saying that! I don't know what she, she's yelling something at me, but I don't know what. Um, listen, our viewers, our listeners, just so you know, Addie and I are married and she is in the same house as me. Um, I don't think we mentioned that this episode. Uh, okay, so, I am not talking to a bunch of Trump voters, this is true. I'm not trying to convince a bunch of Trump voters to vote for Biden because I am not talking to them. Um, not out of choice, but because that's just some not people that I'm surrounded by or talk to in general, uh, as far as I know. Um, I think what I said is like talking about people on the fence or like wondering about whether what they should do. Um, and then also trying, yeah, I would agree that like I'm trying to talk to people who are either hesitant about voting in the first place or just not enthused about it. These are all true things. I would also say that I do criticize Biden. This is also true, but I also primarily criticize Biden to other people whom I think are going to vote for Biden, despite the fact that he is crappy. And I will continue to have that conversation with people if they think that he's great or if they think that he is kind of crappy but are going to vote for him. But I'm not going to say all of the crappy things I think about Joe Biden, which are entirely founded and real, um, to somebody who is not sure whether they should vote or not because I want people to vote for... I want people to vote against Trump. Um, so these are all true things, but I don't... I wouldn't say that I am being disingenuous when I say, like, I would, like, not necessarily criticize Biden as much um, in public as I did 
towards the primary, um, where there was the opportunity of having somebody better. And I will be more outspoken in my criticisms of Biden if and when he becomes president, because he will do a suck-ass job. We already know this, but he can maybe do a better job if we push him. Your strategy makes sense. I also... I also resonated with what Ari said about like never like not criticizing someone until they're in power because I feel like if you do that long enough like that that feels very dangerous to kind of not to kind of just like be like oh well if I have any alternative we'll just leave it and then and then no like there isn't people aren't necessarily thinking critically about people's policies until it's too late um I don't know I don't I just I worry about building people up too much and then um and then and then they don't feel like they have to they don't feel like their actual like election is really based on the things that people would be criticizing them about because people aren't criticizing them so then they just they don't feel like they have to actually respond to any of that because it wasn't a factor in their election um, I don't know if that makes sense, but I do. That does sound kind of dangerous to me. The like, the idea of like, let's just keep quiet, let them get elected. Um, but yeah, I mean that like that strategy of uh, that Dan that you outlined also. Like, I think the the challenge is just navigating this political system, navigating this election system is. Not necessarily something that people should have to be able to figure out. Like it's it is really challenging for all of us individually. Um, that's not our fault. But that it's is the way that change. we navigate it. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to Al about that the other day. Love it. Love it. Um I have I wanna say that another thing, just to add to what Dan is has said, <laughs> is I think Dan, the reason you're saying this is within the context of having voted in 2016. So I want to know what you two think, having not voted in 2016 um, for president. So I think what you're saying, Dan, is like, par exemple, (laughs) we were like, Hillary sucks. Hillary is bad. Hillary is very Zionist. Hillary is very capitalist. Hillary are all these things. And um, because of that, like because of us and many other people who said those things about Hillary, Hillary did not win. And so I think the the context with which you say this, Dan, is um, you don't want you want to criticize someone, but not enough that they won't beat Trump, because we are still like traumatized by this experience of Trump winning when we were like, oh, this person's imperfect. Like this isn't good. This isn't great. And um, so I think that's the context. Trump is trash. He won't win. So let's just criticize Hillary. Well, no, and it, we were genuine in our criticism of her. We weren't, like, flippant uh-huh. about it. We really, I really, really didn't want to vote for her. <laughs> and I, like I mm-hmm. have said before, I almost didn't. Um, and so it was a really, really serious thing to me. And I felt really complicated about voting for her. And so um, I just think we're not talking about, like, voting. We're talking about our experience having voted in 2016 versus having voted in 2008. And um, I don't think we're necessarily representing all voting all the time. And 
I think like Ari, one thing you keep saying is like vote blue all the time. Like I've not, I have not heard that. I'm sure that that's been present with lots of people, but I feel like it's particularly said right now because of how much people didn't do that in 2016. So I think the context, like maybe this is me just growing up in rural America around Republicans and not knowing that, but like I was never told to just like stick to the party as like, that's what our, that's what our, um, what our job is to stick to the party, which is perhaps why I switched parties because I wasn't, I was told to like think individually about different people. Um, but I, I'm sure that's been the strategy for some Democrats, but I feel like it's particularly true for this context because people are afraid from 2016. So I just want to bring that context in. It doesn't mean that the fear is good or a good strategy or makes us make good decisions, but I think that's why you're saying that, Dan, and I think that's why you got stuck in that weird thing that you said where, like, you don't want to uh, criticize someone until they get into power is you're afraid that Biden won't get into power because you're afraid that Trump will remain in power, right? Because you don't really believe that, that you shouldn't criticize someone until they get into power. I know that you don't really believe that. Right. Yeah. No, I I wouldn't say that. I would say that the energy might be better spent um, focusing on the flaws of Trump and focusing on the like systems of power which have brought Trump to where he is and the systems of power which are crappy and put us in this position of voting for two gross old white men. Mm -hmm. um, focusing on the flawed man is kind of just focusing on the result of a system which is gross. Yeah. Um, like, the presidential election is not most of politics. That is, like, and we shouldn't put as much importance on it as we do. We need to fix so many other parts of politics. Um, and also, it's not going to be your experience, especially voting in Chicago, that you have to be like, I'm stuck with bad options. You're actually going to, I feel, vote for people that you really love because you're going to have all these people <laughs> to choose between, like, to vote for... Um, lots of different options in Chicago. Like you get, you get a lot of people that run for a lot of things and you can choose between a lot of different ideologies and that can feel really good. And doesn't mean that the people that you vote for are going to win, but it feels, I experienced it as really, really liberating to vote for so many different things in Chicago that weren't the binary option of like a bad person and a bad person. Doesn't mean that you vote for the person who wins, but I just think this presidential voting is, is very different from some experiences you might have in your future where you get to vote for people who, who you really believe in. But what do you think, Ari and Julia, what do you think about like uh, the context of this being um, us afraid of what happened in 2016 and you're, you have a different perspective on it? that I would like to, like, maybe you can help us not be so clouded by our experience, you know? I mean, I've said before, I don't think it's super helpful for me to play the, like, if, if Hillary Clinton had won in 2016 when I was a freshman in high school, right, here's where I would be now. I don't think playing, like, I don't have a little crystal ball that I can, like, look into. I don't know if I'm allowed to. Yeah, I don't want you to do that. I just, I, I want you to be like, hey, I see you two being afraid and you shouldn't be or something like that, you know? I think, no, 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 but I'll say what I, looking back, I 
am afraid of like the person I could have potentially like become if Hillary Clinton had won. Um, I did not. I like. I mean, I heard some criticism from you, Addy, especially around like Zionism leading up to the election. Um, I did not hear. Like, I did not hear criticisms of Clinton outside of you. Um, besides, like, some some things that were like some internet posts about how she had like been against gay marriage and now she's pro gay marriage and she hasn't really addressed the fact that she was. Um, that that yeah uh, uh sort of the, those things of like oh she's flip floppy um like i i really didn't hear criticisms of her and like i don't i don't trust that i like would have would have heard those criticisms because i also didn't hear criticisms of, of obama when obama was in office right i thought obama was like I was all the like four more years like mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I you know I was one of those people that was like I just miss Obama why can't we just get Obama back for, like, I miss Obama well I, I mean I'm like yeah please <laughs> for like the first year of Trump's presidency right but 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 saying that in a very uncritical way yeah right yeah, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and again not playing the what if game but I am saying like I do I do question a lot would I be as radicalized as I am today? Would I be critical of politicians in the same way? Because previously, like given the experience that I had with Obama and with Clinton while she was running, where very few people in my life criticized those people, right? Um, because they were Democrats and because like the opponent was worse, I, mm -hmm. like, I, I wonder if I would have learned to question people in power in the way that I like very much like consider like a, like a, like a really important part of my practice with any person in authority like is to like immediately question them now right and to not like hold them to a, sort of like a higher standard than i would it's almost like, like uh almost like my two core tenets of youth group yes but i mean like you i mean like but again you also were not like holding youth group sessions about like why why hillary clinton is like yeah of course but I think that would have been inappropriate, I think, probably to talk to like 14 year olds about. It. I don't know. I don't know. But what are my two? What are, what are they actually? I can remember one of them based on this. But... God is everywhere. Oh, yeah. God is everywhere. And I'll question people in power. Yes. Love it. Ugh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think I will say that, like, I don't know. I hear, I hear your, like, fear and disappointment mm -hmm. with what happened in 2016 and I think as a person who couldn't vote then I felt very like robbed of my own power mm -hmm. like a sort of being like this decision was made like for me without my consent and it's going to impact me mm -hmm. right and I didn't get to choose mm -hmm. um but I also yeah but but I also don't think that like I guess in 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 reflection of Obama and of Clinton and even of Bernie Sanders and things like that, like I do wish that people in my life had been more crit like like especially during like my my more formative years, I do wish people had been more critical of the people in power because I wish I would have learned to do that for myself like from a younger age. 
um, because I do feel like the thing that sort of got me to be critical of people in power was Trump in power. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I had learned to be people critical of people in power while Obama was like still president. Mm-hmm. Totally. I know people were being critical of Obama who were around you and they might just not have been sharing it with you. And people were not sharing that with me. Yeah. What do you think about the idea that like I hear that Trump has radicalized you and it makes me feel a little icky because Trump sucks. So <laughs> just to be clear, yeah, I mean, yeah let's this... be Trump is a thing that radicalized me, and I question whether I would have become as radical under Clinton, and I wish that, like, there had been people, because I know there are people that could have radicalized me, like, I'm not mm-hmm, saying it's impossible mm-hmm. to radicalize under, like, mm-hmm. uh, a, a Democrat, like, president, I, but but I do wish that people had radicalized me under a Democrat president. I hear you, yeah. I believe that people can be radicalized under Biden. I think that we just have to do the work. And it has to do with us not falling asleep. And I can't, I just don't think that the suburban people who have, or the people in Silicon Valley who have the all are welcome and no trespassing, I just don't think that their, their allyship is not genuine. I'm telling you, it's not genuine if it's only through seeing George Floyd's video and Trump, because it has to, it has to, you have to like get up and do the work when it's sunny outside, sup- supposedly sunny, um, instead of just when it's raining, you know? Like, so um, I believe that people can still be radicalized under Biden, um, and it's going to be our job to do that, you know? I I also, I straight up don't think that you wouldn't have, like, become way more progressive in yeah. your values over the past That's four years. Point. I firmly believe you've been surrounded by people who would help you get to the to to a point similar to where you're at right now and like cops killing black folks is not because of trump that's just something that has been happening that has nothing to do with trump really i mean there has been an increase of violence against black people but it's not like the trend wasn't already there yeah um you are not just like a progressive person because Trump is in office. This is this is just not a thing that I I believe to be true. Um, yeah, I think that's no, true. but I also don't have a good prototype for that. Otherwise, within my experience, which is why I bring it up. Well, I feel like maybe it has something to do with age because I feel like I wouldn't be progressive without Obama, and I'm already you know saying how he is not how I've had to like you know. So I think there is something that happens when you are like suddenly. Um, asked to, to all of a sudden make some decisions, um, whether it's which clothes are you going to bring to college or who are you going to vote for president, that like there is something in our society that makes us have to take stances in ways that um, really uh, separate us from the people who have told us what to think. Um, and now we have our own, we are asked by society to have our own opinion. We could have had those opinions far before then, <laughs> but I think... Uh, it's, and I, I would just say, like, from my perspective of having turned 18 during a big election year, that was also, like, a wild thing that not everybody gets to experience. So. Did you turn 18 for Obama's election? Mm-hmm. Was that your first? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, how did you turn 18 for? Well, it was my first presidential election. 
So I voted in, I voted in the primaries. Did you vote in your primaries? I was born in 89. I voted in my primary in primary when I was 17. Okay, so that's Because how it I was going to be 18. Yeah. But I think, yeah, like, the fact that all of this is happening to you while you are, you know, leaving your family home and, uh, like, deciding a career and all these things, like, adding all those together, I think, is a good mixture for <laughs> radicalizing people. And I think I was in the same mixture, but, like, the 2008 version. <laughs> um, and it, it's cool. But I feel a lot of affinity for you because of that. And also, I don't want to ascribe my experience to what your experience is. You want to hear my new um, my new metaphor for Biden now? So I'm reading Stamped, which is the like kids version of Stamped from the Beginning by Eva Max Kendi. I'm reading it with my middle schoolers, and um, in it it has it's like hilariously written for middle schoolers by Jason Reynolds, who like adapted it, and uh, they talk about Abraham Lincoln. And for some of these um kids in my youth group they're like what Abraham Lincoln was like racist <laughs> and so my new metaphor for Biden is that he's Abraham Lincoln because Abraham Lincoln was became president and had all of his views all of his political views were just because he was like I'll do what the other person isn't doing like the person who was more more like uh liked by the people and honestly like won more arguments was the person who was pro-slavery and and um and Abraham Lincoln, like, didn't win a bunch of stuff. Like, the way they say it in the book is, like, he lost until he won. Like, he would lose all the time. And he really didn't have any of these core values as, like, a part of him. He was just like, well, I'm going to do what the opposite is of what the other side is, which is what Biden is. He's like, well, I'm not Trump. Well, I'm not this. I'm not that. And so I really think that Abraham Lincoln and, and Biden are... I just think of them as the, same, as the same thing. So how do we work within that system? If Biden is elected, we can work on changing. Well, we can have a civil war. <laughs> um, but but I, I don't We're going to try I, not I, to. I felt like as Hopefully. I thought of this this week, I was like, I love this idea of my new metaphor. And there were so many people who had to be working around subversively uh, what what Abraham Lincoln was doing and it wasn't all him like it didn't rely on him and in fact relied very little on him it he didn't have the right values to get a lot of things done and the work continues for years and years right and so some big milestones were reached because Abraham Lincoln was president but it didn't rely on him being a good person or a likable person or a motivating person in fact he wasn't those things um, but great things were achieved and great things continue to uh, need to be achieved as a result of his racism and his lack of like ethics and stuff. <laughs> so it just made me feel what like, an, you know what, we can do this. <laughs> what an interesting spin. Joe Biden is like Abraham Lincoln because Abraham Lincoln also sucked. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, I don't know, you know, and like maybe, who cares? Like if they, if they spin it at him as like something great, whatever. We all know that that's not true. But if it gets us to abolish slavery, is if it gets us towards our civil war where we have a revolution, if it gets us toward uh, the further liberation of all of us, then um, let's do it. Like we can use a person who has no values and actually doesn't really care about our cause and actually um, isn't isn't the person we've been waiting for. <laughs> we can use that person to still um, progress. Julia. As long as he's open to it. That's what the people around Trump are doing. Ooh, they're say more about that. Yes, yes, yes. Say more yeah, about that. Yeah, a lot of the people who 
work for in Trump's cabinet and such are they see him as a way to get their agendas across and get in power and get money or whatever um, they you know figured out how to how to work with him in a way that allows him to do that because he's uh, yes he doesn't listen but he is rather malleable in that um, he is thinking about like well, I don't know if he thinks, but um, he 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 changed. He completely changed all his like values for the twenty sixteen election, right? Like he changed his stance on abortion. He changed his stance on um, LGBTQ plus rights. Um, he changed his stance, like on pro- I think, on the electoral college. So, um, so he is someone who is he'll change his stance, like. If, if it'll make him more popular for a certain group of people, I think, and, and a lot of people see him as a tool to, if you flatter him enough, he'll appoint you, and then you can do whatever you want until he fires you. Mm-hmm. And then you write a book about it, and you get money. I guess I just felt refreshed that you can still do things despite the president. And no. if and if our great, I'm thinking of our great big thing that we need to get through right now, that isn't going to solve everything, but definitely needs to be a big, great thing that happens, is we have got to stop killing people during this pandemic. And I do think that Joe Biden would handle it better than Trump. And that's the big, wide thing that we're going through. We haven't talked about Kamala yet. Yeah, we kind of did. I said one thing where I'm like, I kind of like her. I know, and then everyone was like, I'm not listening anymore. Mm. (laughs) Everybody's out. I saw a funny thing where she she put her pronouns in her Twitter bio, and someone was like, wow, isn't it cool? that she has her pronouns in her bio and someone said she her put trans women in men's prisons <laughs> i thought that was funny <laughs> yeah she said she said her pronouns whenever they did the debate that was on like lgbt stuff Although she's pretending like, to be trans inclusive okay. now okay Kamala, why don't you, you do that every debate you gotta keep saying it yeah, yeah he, don't just say it right now it's also whack to say your to say your pronouns and act like you're trans inclusive when you yeah. fail to address your history. That is yeah. incredibly yeah. transphobic. Yeah, yeah, come on. Ugh. Yeah, I really feel like when no candidate. Are we going to do the podcast where we talk really, about how everyone's the worst? Uh, nobody reckons with their history or their problematic histories. I don't, but you know why what? is nobody going to do that? Nobody ever does that. Why is because Kamala was picked. For Allison, not for Ari. I think that I found the solution here because no one, if if they were trying to get us to be happy right now, um, they definitely failed. But they're not. They're not. I I wish I had put money down because I knew Kamala Harris was going to get picked. She's the perfect person for this, uh, for exactly who they're trying to impress. Uh, I was just reading that like Kamala was chosen to be more progressive. And like this is wild to me. What? Um, That's not and, true. Like, that cannot that, be true. That's not like true. more progressive, more that? progressive That's than Biden. True. No, it was on no, the route. No, um, no. Well, like she will actually speak out about things, is what they say. I don't know. I'm not sold on this about? idea. No way. She had no values during the not primary. Sold. She just changed her mind based on polling. She's like exactly like Biden, but she's a black woman. Yeah. This is this is a very confusing time because like also it's a very weird political choice 
Like, I know you're saying that she's everything that they wanted for, like, the voters, but also she's not from, like, a swing state. She's not um, the, the mass appeal candidate. Like, she's very confrontational. Um, no, but don't, I don't, don't it's you a weird want... political choice. I, I, I don't know. Like, Allison likes her. Yeah, that's good. But like, if you're trying to appeal to, if you're trying to appeal to swing, swing voters that are white, like you, you choose a white person because swing voters who are white are that's Biden, though. racist. But that's Biden. And here's, the th- but here's the thing. It's not I have just not Biden, heard my yeah. mother. I have not heard Allison speak out against Biden once, once since March. I have not, and, and I have not heard her say a thing about Kamala Harris either. And I know that I will not hear anything from her until, I, like, certainly until November, probably not after. I, I'm not betting on anything after November either, but I know I will not hear anything from her until November at the, at the minimum. I think that's part of what, what, what frustrates me is it's, yeah. it's absolutely playing off of this thing of the, like, you know, we're not going to criticize people until they're elected right of like she's a good candidate for that this podcast is recorded on ohlone and Potawatomi and miami and peoria land our producer is sonia berg want to support them look in the episode description to buy them a cup of coffee our logo is made by julia's sister sophia she is 12 and a democrat who doesn't agree with everything the democrats stand for our theme song is by some TikTok users that I cannot pronounce, but they will be listed in our episode description. 